Good morning. Come on, y'all can be a little more live in that. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, turn your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 10. You can uh, get there. It's on the app as well. But Mark chapter 10, uh, we'll be starting at verse 17. There should be a Bible in front of you. If not, uh, if you don't have a Bible, please take that as a gift. But uh, we have been going through um, the gospel of Mark, and we've been asking ourselves the question, what did Jesus do? Uh, He said a lot of things, but he also did some things. There were things that he practically did. And so we're going to continue through with that, and it's a lot in in lining up with discipleship, discipling in your uh, relationships, whether it be parents, spouses, and uh, of the likes. But what is happening in our country, and I think many of you would probably agree, is there's been a big battle over this. Uh, the Ten Commandments, you know, the Ten Commandments, they're up in the, uh, we, we have them up in the Supreme Court, they're up all around our country, and really people have been up in arms about them being in public places. Have you heard some of that, or am I just the only one? You know, and so there's a lot of people wrestling with it, and want it up, and really want to uh, deal with it, but at the same time, there are also people who don't want it up and who don't want to uh, have the Ten Commandments in prominent places. So you almost wonder what it's going to look like someday if people etching out the Ten Commandments from the Supreme Court building in many places that are in our country. In our text this morning, there is also someone that had a big supporter of the Ten Commandments. And we're going to read about him together, Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. And we're not going to read the whole story just yet. We're just going to do a little piece, but I encourage you to follow along with me. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, he's asking Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a big question, is it not? What must I do to inherit eternal life? We remember Nicodemus came to Jesus. How can a man be what? Born again. Must he enter into his mother's womb again? This guy comes up to him. He kneels down before Jesus. He's obviously heard about him. He's obviously connected somehow. And he goes, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or maybe said a different way, what must I do to be saved? And his response is interesting. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, isn't that an interesting response? If you just look at that on the outset, you might go, is that Jesus saying that he is not God? Why did he respond to this uh, young man in this way? Jesus knew that he, this young man did not know who he was. He knew he was a good teacher, but he did not understand, um, the young man did not understand what it means to be good. And so Jesus' response is, there is no one good except God. Now we can parcel that off and, and understand that Jesus was going, you're on to something here, but I'm not going to show it just yet. You know, there is only one who is good, and it is God. The Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one. It says that our righteousness is filthy rags unto God. It means all that we do that is good, 
that we do. And there's things that, there are some very moral people who do good things. Good things compared to the holiness of God is left wanting. And so there's none who are righteous. There's no one who is completely good, not one person. So this is a room full of uh, sinning people who do bad things, who think bad things sometimes, and who are not good as God says good is. And Jesus says there is none good except for God. Jesus also looks at him and he says, um, you know the commandments. So this young man, he knows the scripture. He knows his Old Testament. Do not murder. That's a good one, right? Do not murder. Can we all agree that's a good one? Do not murder. All right, we're good there. Do not commit adultery. Not bad either, right? Yeah, that's a good one. Do not steal. That one's good unless we're talking taxes. That's a, uh, do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. This is what Jesus pointed him to. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Not too bad, right? And he said to him, the man's response, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. Done it all. I've not murdered anybody. I've not committed adultery. I've not stolen. I've not borne false witness. I've not defrauded anybody. I've honored my father and mother. So he is saying to Jesus, I'm a pretty good guy. I've done all this. Chances are, more than likely, no one in here has murdered anybody. Thought about it, but not murdered anybody. Right? You know, so, you know, the thing is, is he didn't hear Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when it said that if you look on a woman you've lusted already, you've committed adultery. As you think it in your heart, so are you. So if you go and you think through something, you've committed it anyway. But he said, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. I get the sense this guy was a moral, upright citizen, someone who was in the Boy Scouts, someone who helped women across the streets, across the streets, someone who did all the right things and was an upstanding citizen. So what was Jesus' response to him? I want to propose to you, I want to put up a table here. This is a table, actually two. On the left side is one side of the story, and I'm explaining it a little bit, and on the other side is the other side. And what I want to do, and I want you to understand, is what Jesus is unpacking here is that there are two tablets of the law. There are two sections to the Ten Commandments. So we'll look at this next one. On one side, and this isn't broken up perfectly, but I want you to picture one table and the other if you figure the red one and the white one. If you start down to number five here, or actually number four, it's debatable, but let's say number five. This is where Jesus started. Honor thy father and thy mother. Not bad, right? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. 
We look at that and we go, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Matter of fact, compared to someone I work with, I am a saint. Compared to my boss at work, I am angelic. Compared to my neighbor, I am an amazing person. I'm morally upright. I am the man or the woman. I am someone worth saving. Jesus loves me, this I know. Because all these things I've kept from my youth. But Jesus was doing something here very specific. Look at the first three. The other ones pertain to our relationship with one another. These pertain to our relationship with God. So if you're a Christian this morning, this pertains to you. You might not have murdered, you might have done all that stuff that we just said, but look at this other one. Thou shalt not have other gods before me. You might go, man, I don't worship, I'm not worshiping um, all those things, the Asherah poles and all this stuff that the Old Testament people did. I don't do any of that stuff. I don't worship Baal. I don't go to the Druidic temple. I am not this. I am not that. And we put ourselves up on the the, uh, scales of balances in comparison to how good something is and to how bad. And it says, you shall not have any other gods before me. And I want to say that all of us in here at varying times have had other gods before God. The second one, you shall not make unto thee any graven image, anything that you are worshiping uh, that's apart from God in heaven. You know, it, it sort of kicks against the um, statues that people worship and bow before or, you know, having things that become a sign. It's one thing to have something to represent your thoughts towards God, but it's another thing to bow towards it and to worship it and to put more creed into it. It's sort of like if I had a cross on my neck, a cross is not a bad thing, but I don't bow to that little cross. I bow to the God who sent his son to die on that cross and he was risen again. That's who I bow to. So we do not have any graven image, and you shall not take the Lord of thy God in vain. And some of you in here will go, got that one too. I don't say the GD word. Yeah. Man, when people at work say that, I'm just on to it. That is my God you're talking about. And you get angry, and you go, that's who the Lord is for me. I'm going to, like, pull the rug out for a second. Taking the Lord's name in vain isn't necessarily saying GD. It's when a Christian bears a reputation or actions that take away from the Lord. It's when we claim to be Christians and our actions say otherwise. That's taking God's name in vain. Oh, I'm a Christian. I go to this church or that church, and everything's great. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And then they see your life, and it's in shambles, and there's no freedom. And they're just going, man, who is this? this isn't God. This is a God you worship. I don't want any part of it. 
Then the last one, the verse four, or the verse four, the fourth one is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I could say a whole sermon about the Sabbath. It's multiple things. It's not just about coming to church. But do we put God first? Is he preeminent in everything? Or are we just better than our neighbor? Are we just better than that person that you compare yourself to? Verse 21. And Jesus looked at him, and get this, he loved him. And he said, you lack one thing. It is not said anywhere, it's said that John is, he said, is beloved of Jesus, but nowhere in the New Testament does it say Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus saw something in this young man. He saw a passion that I think needed to be ignited. He saw the opportunity for freedom and getting ready to be free, and he loved him. He saw his heart was good, and he wanted to grow, but there was something in balance. And I would say to you this morning, what is Jesus looking at you today and saying, man, I love you, but... Do you lack one thing? There's something lacking. If you could not go where the Spirit of the Lord is freedom, if there's just a bunch of guilt and mess there, there's not freedom there. If you could stand before God and free, just like, that is great, man. I just want to commend you. I love a free church where people are just excited about Jesus. But if it's something straining and Jesus is looking at you right now, it's like going, I know you might be Somebody that has not killed. You might have honored your father and mother. You've done all this, but something is lacking. And to this young man who is also known, I believe, in Luke as the rich young ruler, he says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So this guy's like, yeah, I'm in! Right? No. Not what happened. But Jesus held him up to the whole commandment. So in Matthew, it says this. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we live in a culture and we teach humility here at Oasis. We want to be humble people. We want to be gracious people. But there is something here that says that we have got to teach and live things out. And it says, you will be called great if you hold these things up. So what do you think you're called if you're not holding them up? Not so good? Have you ever done a gift exchange? Anyone here done a gift exchange before? You know, and if people, family members, they go, we're going to limit it to 10 bucks, right? And so I'm a black and white person. Let's say I, I get something for 980 something and I make sure the tax works out that I stay within the lines. And I go and I give this box to somebody and they give me a box, you know, and I, they open it up and I'm like, yeah, that's 10 bucks. That's pretty creative, wasn't it? You know, and they give like some $50 thing. What do you feel like? Yeah, anyone ever felt like that before? You came in, it was like, man. So then you like feel like you have to one-up people and you get in this big game. But what will it be like 
to go to heaven one day, to have heard the truth of the gospel, and to just sort of go on, well, I've done six out of the 10 really well. Here's my gift, God. Here's my $9.80 gift. Because I wanted to do just enough. I didn't want to make, I didn't want to ruffle anything. I didn't want to do anything like that. I just want to do enough. Can you imagine standing before God with people who have given themselves of the gospel, who have suffered for the sake of Christ, who have just given it all, just like, I gave everything, everything to you, Lord. Here it is. And we go, 989. Here's your gift, God. Jesus, uh, the, the young man goes in verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in this text, this young man, his issue was money. And I think sometimes we, we emphasize that and we give everyone else a break. And I think some people just sort of gloss over. It's like, man, I'm poor. He's not talking to me. I have no problem because I am poor. No issues here. So you just sort of ravel through the Bible. Well, this doesn't apply to me. No, this, this applies to you. Jesus put those two tables up in a sense, the red one and the white one, the things that apply to one another and the things that apply to God. And he said, and he points out one thing, and he says, I want this from you. For this young man, it was money. He is idle. His God was his wealth and his possessions. And so this was his issue. For others, there might be a myriad of things that are your issue. We could go around the room. We're just going to confess them now, one to another. The Bible says, Dude, I'm just kidding. Um, but wouldn't that be healthy? That there's something that keeps me from following Jesus and keeps me from experiencing the freedom that Jesus promises. How difficult it will be to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24, and the disciples were amazed at his words because Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for the eye of the needle was a small gate that was proven later. When this was all written and even up till like sometime in the 19th century, I can't remember the exact date, but they, they've excavated where this was. It was a, uh, a gateway that you had to stoop down to get through. So imagine a camel. Have you ever seen camels? They're awkward. You know, when they would go to sit down, they, they just sort of do this wobble thing and drop. They, they, don't, they don't just sort of do that. And I can't hardly do this either, but you know, here I go. I'm going to go through there. The camel is like impossible for it to get down and scurry through. Here Jesus says, those who put things before me, it's easier to go through the eye of the needle than it is for someone who follows after their possessions, for those who follow after idols and things of this world to follow me than it is to go through the eye of a needle. That is how difficult it is. 
And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? This is the gospel, folks. It is impossible to be saved by following the Ten Commandments. You cannot follow the Ten Commandments. I think we all understand that. We get that well. But no one can be saved. No one can go through the eye of the needle. There is something bigger than the individual that it takes. So they are astonished, and they ask the same question. Who can be saved? What must a man do? Remember what the man said? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. That's good news. All our striving, all our efforts, all our trying to keep up, They do us nothing in the sense of saving us. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus did it all. With man it is impossible, but with all God it is, uh, all things are possible for him. Peter began to say, See, we have left everything and followed you. And that's a true statement. Remember when they were at the nets, they, were there, they had their job, they're doing everything, and Jesus like, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Boom, they dropped the nets and they rolled with him. And so Jesus, and Peter's following this along closely. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers, children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. This is a little complicated. At one thing, Peter's like, I have left it all. I have sacrificed. Some of you have sacrificed much for the gospel. Maybe some friendships, maybe some relatives that think that you have lost your mind. Maybe they just think you're crazy and you're just sort of uh, trying to just do something because it makes you feel good. It's a Band-Aid effect for this world. And it's saying, and you've given up stuff for it. Jesus says, you will, will you not receive a hundredfold now in this time? Listen to that. He says, if you sacrifice for me, if you are willing to give up the things that are the most valuable to you, if you go to Lord of the Rings, you know, you're precious. Whatever it is you stare at and obsess over that changes you, that darkens you, and you give that up for the gospel. I'm not giving up my wedding ring for my wife, just so you know. But I'm just like, if you are going to give up that, then Jesus promises to take care of you. Now, he's not here. You can just go to get a call away. It's like, oh, I'll get, receive a hundredfold. And then you get these prosperity gospel people going, man, if you just give a thousand, I'll give you 10,000. If you give a hundred thousand, I'll give you a million. That is not what this is. That is a false gospel. But Jesus said, the prosperity I offer you is right relationship with me, peace with me, joy with me that I will give it to you. And he also throws in there one negative statement. No, go back. Go back. Back. With 
persecutions. I, you know, I, I love and I don't love how Jesus does this. He said some things and he did some things, but it's like I would have just taken that part out. You don't need to know about that, right? But Jesus is also saying, I'm going to bless you on this world and during your life here, but you will also be persecuted for my name's sake. But ultimately, you will be rewarded, rewarded with etern- in the coming eternal life. So God has promised us a reward. I sat with a group of pastors one time, and the argument was this. I just was listening to it. There is nothing better that I can have than being in the presence of God, and that is what salvation offers to me. I'm like, I'm thinking, like, okay, and I'm just waiting to see because I was sort of the young guy then. Wait a minute, let's see what someone said. And everyone just sort of looked around, and they didn't feel like they could do it. And I'm just like, so where is the reward? And he looked at me and he said, there's no greater reward. It was like a, it was just like a, you know, when I'm preacher type to get loud, like I do. Uh, you know, there's no greater reward than being in the presence of God. And I'm like, that sounds good. But Jesus said, if you sacrifice, you follow me, there will be great reward for you, not only now, but in heaven someday. Imagine coming to God with a cheap gift. And your response when he goes, well, what, what is this? Well, you know, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't cheat anybody. I didn't steal. I didn't bear false witness. I didn't, you know, do this and this. I honored my father and mother. And God says, you put other gods before me. It's terrifying to me. It's like showing up without a gift. Now, I still believe that God saves, but I do believe that there, man, I hate to say, I don't even want to say this word. Someone's got to help me with a better word. There are differing reward levels. And I don't want you to picture like you're playing Pac-Man, all right, and you're just trying to chomp stuff. There are different Things And God says there's leadership in heaven and there's things. And so when you sacrifice for the Lord, he promises to repay. And it says at the end that we come down, you know, we sang the song before, we fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Imagine having nothing, empty-handed or a cheap gift. But Jesus promises a reward. In 31, he says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Some who think that they're going to go to heaven and just going to be the best thing since sliced bread for the kingdom might find out that things aren't so good for them like this rich young ruler. Finding out that sacrifice of things on this earth will have a reward. Now, I got this quote up here. How profoundly ironic is the kingdom of God. The children in the former story who possess nothing are not told that they lack anything. But rather that the kingdom of God is theirs. 
Yet this man who possesses everything still lacks something. Only when he sells all that he has, only when he becomes like a vulnerable child, will he possess everything. Some people, um, in the, I think this is a good way to, to view the Christian walk and in the view how we sacrifice or don't sacrifice, is this little uh, thing, many of you have heard it before, time, talent, and treasure. How does my, is my time affected by following after the king? How is my do I dedicate not an hour a week, but is my life reflective? Someone recently responded back to me, Eric, you have no idea what I do when I'm at work. Man, I love that. I don't need to know everything. This is a question for you, not that you have to come to me. But how is your time this week, the coming week, even look back in the past week, does it reflect loving King Jesus? How does your talent used for the gospel, with the gifts that God has given you, how is it being used for the kingdom? And it might be used in places that no one sees, and again, I appreciate that, but you have to not answer to me, but to God. He said, how are you doing with your time? How are you doing with talent? And to this rich young ruler, maybe some up in here, how are you doing with your treasure? For where your treasure is, that there where your heart be also. Do we come to Jesus like little children? Do we come joyful and willing to give all? I just love, love little kids. Little kids, before it gets complicated, they come up and they buy you the most extravagant gift they can afford. And they give everything. Now, have you ever had, some of you parents in here, have you ever seen it or maybe you're friends with people that the kid will give, they might have 10 bucks to their name. And they're going to go give mom or dad or maybe even someone down the street and just go buy them something. And they go, this is what I gave to you. And I'm just going, wow, they have given everything for the love that they have. So as we begin to wrap up, I want to call you to reflect and if necessary, to repent before the Lord in ways that you have not followed after him, in ways that you have compared yourselves using those six commandments and not using the, use the full 10, how you've compared yourself not to Jesus but to your neighbor, and maybe how you have visualized yourself as being pretty good as this rich young ruler did, but maybe you are lacking in one thing. Dave Pallison says that change is moving in the right direction. It's not about speed, distance, or perfection, but direction. This morning, are you going to leave following the right direction? Are you going to hear from the Holy Spirit so you hear in your head what we've talked about here and maybe your heart's been pricked when I said there is one thing that you're missing and maybe you just go, yeah, I know what that is and you don't even need to say what it is, but Eric, I, I know and I'm convinced Christians know what that is. I am convinced. And the ones who come up to me like, I don't know if there's anything. I'm like, it's probably because there's not. 
But if you know what the Spirit is asking from you and you do not act upon it, that is not repentance. That's just acknowledging your sin and saying, God, I've got this. I know better than you. I can do it better than you, and freedom reigns in my place. I'm going to have freedom how I want to. I'm going to have, it, I'm going to have my money, and I'm going to have it now. You know, it's my money. I want to have it. I'm going to do with it what I want. It's my life. I'm going to do with it what I want. God, you can't have sake because I am going to create the God that I want and all other gods are before you. And you might not say it like that. But when we don't follow after Jesus, when he asks us for that one thing, whatever it might be, and this is the beauty of the story, it's not all about money. It's about whatever the Holy Spirit exposes in your heart and says, I want you to move with. In the right direction, in the right leisure you're going, not in perfection, but in direction. You're saying, Eric, I get it. In this one area, I am lacking. And I would say to you, if you have a good friend that you know, share with them what that is. It's practical. I am convinced that, not, I'm gonna make up a number, sort of like watching news these days. 95% of people in church, so I can do this pretty effectively, 95% of people in church know exactly what they're called to do, walk down the aisle, take a communion. God, I wanna change. Maybe you get prayer. God, I wanna change. I just wanna, I don't wanna pray. For, I just, just pray for me broadly. I don't really wanna share. And you roll out the doors. We roll out the doors. And what happens? Poof. Gone, right? It's gone. It's gone. And, and we forget what we heard. It's like we see through a glass dimly. You know, we walk away, we see a reflection, and then we walk away, and it dims down, dims down, dims down. I'd encourage you that you need to share with somebody what the one thing that the Holy Spirit, not what I'm saying, not what your neighbors are saying, but what the Holy Spirit says, I want this from you, that you tell someone that you trust and confess it to them, to God too, and say, this area I am going to give to the Lord. I will have no other gods before me. I will not worship another idol. Lord, this is yours. And you commit to that. You go in the right direction. And what do you get from it? Freedom. Freedom reigns in this place. Showers of mercy and grace. Folks, the problem with America isn't the Ten Commandments being up or not being up in the Supreme Court or in the private or the public lands of this country. The problem in America is Christians who are not taking seriously the Ten Commandments and are living callous, casual, anemic lives and are sickly. And pathetic. We'll argue about a freaking statue. But we won't stand before God and confess our sins and humble ourselves and go before him. We will get on the news and get angry about the statue. But one day God is not going to hold you or me accountable about a statue in a public or private place. He's going to come and say, where have I 
been on your radar in your life? How have you lived? How did you display my glory in the country that I put you in, in the state that I put you in, with my neighbors? How have you done that? The statue doesn't matter. Your heart matters. My word matters. Following me matters. That's what will change America, folks, when Christians lovingly, by grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, follow after God, and by doing so, will naturally live out to Ten Commandments in a beautiful way, imperfect but beautiful, and the world will see, and they will go, that is a God I am willing to follow. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. How will you make your mark on your neighbors? I think it's just a recap. It's simple. Listen to what the Spirit says. He's specific. Identify the problem. Find the root cause. Confess your sins one to another. Find someone you trust. You don't have to come up here and be all public about it. can if you want, but you find someone you trust and then do work. Do work. And I don't mean that you're gonna do it all yourself, but by the power of the Lord. So this morning, as, you, as we get ready to come, we're to come to the table. And one of the things that the scripture is very clear about is that you if you have unconfessed sin or you have not made things right with another person in your life in as much as you're able, that you should forego taking communion to make things right. Our, our mission at Oasis is to build disciples who are reconciled to God and to one another. This is a continual process. Jesus ultimately reconciles us to God by justification, but we are constantly walking that out in relationship, keeping that covenantal relationship with him as we trust him. And so if you have broken covenant with him, renew your vows this morning. Maybe come get prayer. Maybe sit at the altar. Maybe pray in your pew. But don't take this callously. Knock down the idols in your own heart. Would you please stand if you're able? Heavenly Father, um, we all fall short. We thank God for grace here. But Lord, we don't want the cheap grace. We want the grace that was paid for by the blood of Jesus. We want the grace that was lived out by the apostles and all the disciples of the kingdom before us. Lord, we want the grace that is measured out greatly by seeing changes of the kingdom of God coming here, not just being a place we go to, but being lived out here on this earth. God, would you do that here for us now? Lord, I pray that you would bring, by your kindness, people to repentance this morning, that they would change their direction, Lord, that they would look to you, and Lord, if they are walking out and they have peace this morning, Lord, would they give you praise and worship you as they come. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.